Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I'm Josiah and with my wife Ann Jessica, we were missionaries for seven years until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I'm a Christian but not an evangelical and my wife is an agnostic and we are deconstructing and reconstructing together. Listen to some of our key episodes such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I Am a Survivor, The Cult of ATI Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture. Join us on our journey as we seek health together. And to get, uh, I say together, but my wife is not joining us today. Uh, she had some things come up at the last minute and uh, she's regrets that she can't be here. But we do have a special guest, Robert, uh, who has some great content on Instagram. And we, I've been following it. I've been enjoying your content, Robert. Um, and we'd love to have you just share a little bit of your story. You have um, your Instagram account. You have uh, you describe yourself as Affinis Humanity. And I'd love for you to explain the significance of that, those two words, but just in a second. Um, Affinis Humanity, intersectional humanism discusses how religion affects gender, sex, and race. So those are three topics that we're super passionate about on this podcast. And I would just love to hear from you, Robert, um, what those words mean to you, Affinis Humanity, and what what's the journey that brought you along the path of life to the place where you are, and kind of what's the story behind the content that you put out? Oh, well, I appreciate the introduction, Josiah, and uh, yeah, I appreciate being on uh, the podcast. You guys have great content as well, and so um, I appreciate the uh, the invite. So, <clears throat> Affinis. Uh, so Affinis, uh, the etymological uh, definition of the word uh, Affinis is actually, it's, it's Latin, right? It comes from the Latin and uh, the English version is affinity, which means a natural attraction to a person, thing, or idea. Me being a humanist, my natural affinity is towards humanity. I, I look towards humanity to solve uh, the ills of the world. Um, you know, I'm a secular humanist. So, you know, that means that I, I don't look towards the, the supernatural, but I look towards naturalism in order to uh, rectify problems. And so that's how I came up with the name because I'm, you know, even though, you know, humanity has its dark moments, I'm still optimistic that we can eventually change things around um, with our, you know, with our inner turmoils and outer turmoils as well. Uh, my journey is started out early, and I know, and I and I met, you know, you and and your wife Anne through Instagram through the deconstruction community, and uh, for me, that started a little early. That started when I was 13 years old, and and it really uh, ignited when my cousin, uh, gave me the book, uh, by written by Thomas Paine called the age of reason. And I read that at 13 from there, I started getting very deep into philosophy, started getting into Nietzsche, Wittgenstein, Feuerbach, Kierkegaard, uh, and yeah, I was, I was still a teenager delving deep into these 
scholarly reads, you know, and, um, you know, for a time when I was a teenager, I asked my mom, who is still Pentecostal, um, and Pentecostal churches are very, uh, very strict. And I said, you know, I want to learn about Islam. And she said, okay, you know, I know a few doctors that I work with that uh, go to the mosque. And so if you want to really learn about Islam, you can go with them. And so I went to the mosque with them for about two years. And after that, I wanted to learn about Buddhism. So this was all in New Jersey. I'm currently residing in Arizona now, but I grew up in New Jersey around the Princeton area. And so I went to a Buddhist temple for about a year. After that, I guess you can say I was around the age of 18 years old. And I just started to realize that, okay, I got a handle on the Christian ideology, the Islamic ideology and Buddhism. And I said, okay, I, I know what path that I wanna take. And I took the humanist path. I, I understood why these ideologies existed, but I just felt that at that moment, and I still do that their relevancy um, for better words is a little archaic. And so I wanted more of a modern approach uh, to, I guess you could say human salvation. And so I took the humanist path for that. Hmm. that. That's a very interesting journey. And I would say an interesting choice as somebody that's looking for which religion to choose, to choose humanism. That seems to be not among the options of religions or not in the same category. Now, right. now some some Christians will push back on atheists, for example, and say, well, you have a religion too. Your religion is atheism. Well, how would you react to that? Do you think humanism is like a religion or, or not? Well, what's interesting is that the American Humanist Society, that's a great question. Uh, there, there was about five years ago, um, there were inmates. Uh, I believe... Mm, I believe in Texas, and they wanted to practice humanism. Well, by law, humanism was not considered a religion. So they didn't have the right, you know, based on policy to congregate like Christians, like Muslims do. And so the American Humanist Society Association, rather, had to write up a declaration to make humanism a religion for policy purposes so that the inmates could practice that. Um, that was a very isolated incident, but regarding the atheism aspect, hmm, it's, I my rebuttal would be this, everybody's an atheist, including you. Everyone is, a, everyone possesses an atheistic bent towards somebody's religion. The difference between me and religious individuals is that my atheism is plus one. I don't believe in none of it. That's the only difference, right? You being a Christ Christians, they're atheistic towards Islam. They're atheistic towards Buddhism. They're atheistic towards Catholicism, right? Hire Krishna amongst the other religions. So 
they don't believe in their gods. So technically speaking, they're atheistic towards other religions. I'm just atheistic towards them all. That's the only difference. And it's really, and, and I really, I evolved and, and you'll notice I really don't use the word atheist a lot because I don't like to define myself by what I don't believe in. Yeah. I like to define myself that. by what I do believe in, mm-hmm. right? And I believe in humanity. You know, Christopher Hitchens said it best. He said, he said, I'm more of an anti-theist than I am an atheist. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and that resonates, that resonates with me. And so I believe for dialogue purposes and and for people to hear, you know, for people's ears to be open, um, I think humanism to be on the table is a really good start to have yeah. people really open their minds. Because when they hear atheism, they turn a deaf ear, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's automatically, they're not going to listen to you. But humanism, they'll they'll even listen to you with, with a humanist dialogue. And uh, that I, I've had, uh, I have an atheist friend um, who, who defines himself as an atheist, but also leaning towards humanism named Lee that I had a podcast with. And I'm going to do one on ethics soon with him. And... Um, I appreciate, like, I, I appreciate everybody's journey. And, and if somebody, you know, comes out of the gate and they were raised a certain way and they're angry and they're atheist, I completely understand that. You know, I have a lot of anger right now as well. And I understand that. Um, but I always appreciate when people make a transition and say, I'm a humanist. And because it's, it's a more positive bent and it's more focused on ethics, I mean, I, I think that is the central motivating factor that I'm hearing from you. I could be wrong, but I think that's what I'm hearing from you is I want to do good for humanity. I want to make a positive contribution. And you're not here to, although I'm sure this will come up, you're not here necessarily just to prove to me that my religion is wrong. I don't sense that that's a major consideration of you. Your concern is to say, let's do the best that we can with humanity and and that's definitely something that I feel like um, that humanists have in common with the best parts of all religions, where I think the best parts of all religions are saying, you know, love your neighbor and do good, you know, in this world. And that should be our uniting factor. Unfortunately, religion also gets off the rails, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but, yeah, I, I appreciate I always get excited when people talk about humanism as opposed to atheism, because I do feel like it's, it's kind of the 2.0 and it's, it's like, it, okay, now we're ready to talk about ethics and we're talking about making a difference in the world. So, um, what would you say before we leave the topic of ethics, what is the humanist path? Um, like, do you just read a lot of, Nietzsche and and Dawkins and and that's you know like if, if somebody joins the 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 Christian path, I would recommend they read the New Testament and go to church. If somebody says, "Hey, you know, I I just got out of a bad relationship with Christianity or Islam or whatever it is, I'm looking for a new way forward. Humanism sounds interesting. You know, where do you sign up?" That's a great question. So I would I would tell people to check out the American Humanist Association, mm. um, absolutely. Uh, and they have programs, lectures, literature to get people's feet wet. Um, 
there isn't a, and, and this is something that actually I want, right? This is something that I kind of envy with the church is that at least, I mean, and I remember, and I'm pretty sure it's like that now because I know a lot of people that are Christian and currently go to church, at least they're in church three days a week, right? Tuesday or Wednesday is Bible study. Friday is uh, some type of get together. And then Sunday is church. So that's three days a week. In approximately a month, that's about 12 meetings a month. That is a, a lot of congregating. Mm-hmm. And for humanists, we don't really have that, right? We have social media, right? Yeah. We, there, we don't have a building uh, to attend to for fellowship. And I believe that's something that actually needs to change um, mm-hmm. because humanity, we need fellowship. We absolutely need it. And that's something that I envy about the church. Um, And yes, I I would tell people first and foremost to check out the American Humanist Association. And they have a huge community, even a uh, a legal staff as well. And they do great work. Um, And yeah, it's, it's more of a naturalistic path, utilizing human reason to solve problems. And, and one of the things that I've, I've witnessed over the years is this. So, you know, societal religiosity has gotten a bad rap lately. And so I've kind of seen the, the metamorphosis of, of Christianity. It used to be people were so proud of hey, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Presbyterian. Then it shifted to, hmm, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They, they kind of let the denominations go. Then it shifted from, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to, I'm spiritual. I'm just spiritual right now. Now, the modern thing is, I even hear Muslims saying, well, I'm a Muslim humanist. I'm a Christian humanist. I'm a Catholic humanist. I'm a Mormon humanist. Well, the interesting thing about humanism is that it was actually coined by a theologian. And oddly enough, he witnessed people actually, in, in his perspective, incurring religious principles of like love thy neighbor and do unto others as they would do unto you, but without the faith. Mm-hmm. So he thought that was a problem, right? He was like, well, wait a minute. These people are incurring religious principles, but they're not Christian. So he coined the term humanism. And so humanism is without the belief of the supernatural, no gods, no angels, no demons. And so when an individual says, I'm religious, but I'm also a humanist. Well, people that are religious, they have to put God first in their life. Humanism is void of the belief in anything that is supernatural. So I've kind of witnessed this kind of trend, right? Because it's trendy, right? You know, it kind of takes the focus off of, you know, this type of soaring evangelicalism that is trying to arrest America, right? Into a theocracy. And yeah. so it's trendy to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a humanist. Well, well, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, you're a Christian. Now, you might not be a fundamentalist Christian, but to add the tag of humanism is like me saying, I'm a Christian atheist. It's like saying, like uh, an individual said in Andrew Seidel's book, uh, The Founding Myth, um, how Christian nationalism is un-American. Uh, there was a Jewish scholar who said that Judeo-Christianity is a myth. It's a made up phrase. It's more of a political invention than a scholarly rendition, right? There's no such thing as Judeo-Christianity. It's like saying, I'm a, again, I'm a Christian atheist. I'm a Christian humanist. Humanism is void of supernaturalism. And so that is one of the things that um, people should understand if they want to make that transition to more of a humanist aspect in their life, you know, um, and, and, and I, and I want to say this as well, Josiah, that I really don't care what someone believes in. I've never had a soldier in that fight. I, I would care if someone thought that a blade of grass in their backyard was a God. It, it wouldn't move me. What I'm interested in is how do you treat people? <laughs> How do you treat people? Do you grossly trespass on the humanity of others? That's what I'm concerned about. I don't care if someone believes in a God or not. That's not my fight. How do you treat me? I know Christians that would give their life for me at the top of a hat. I also know atheists that would probably watch me die. You see, so it, it doesn't matter to me. It's about how do you treat people? Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it, yeah. So I'm curious, since you, um, you know, for you, uh, humanism is or, or is synonymous with um, a lack of is synonymous with naturalism, the belief that there is no yeah. supernatural. Um, but a lot of your content um, is in the deconstruction community, talking about how religion affects gender, sex, and race. Right. So this is a question I. I probably know the answer to this, but I, I want to pitch you this question so that you can explain it to our listeners. Why do you as a non-religious person care so much about religion? Uh, because I've, I've seen the toxicity that is imposed in many people's lives. You know, um, most of us, and, and I, you can probably attest to this as well. Uh, most of us have been indoctrinated since we've had a rattle in our hand and a pacifier in our mouth. And me growing up in the church, seeing how, one example, the LGBTQ community has been treated, um, me seeing the, the type of restrictive belief that if you don't believe in what I believe in, you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen hell. It's just the, the conceptualization of hell, how it has affected people so much that I talk to people, Josiah, and they tell me, listen, I've, I've deconstructed 20 years ago and I know hell doesn't exist, but Rob, I still can't shake it. There's still a part of me that says, what if? And it frightens the hell out of me. That is... You talk about some deep psychology there. You know, um, I, I've seen how 
children had segregated themselves from other kids when I was going to, you know, junior high and high school because, oh, you're not a Christian. Oh, we can't hang with you. Whoa, where is the diversity? Where is the inclusion? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, with, with the whole gender and the sexuality issues, um, especially purity culture. Oh, it's, it's, you know, that's why, you know, RTS, religious trauma syndrome exists, you yeah. know, and, and, and the APA specifically, it states spiritual abuse. And I've just, I've witnessed that personally, the, the, the toxic elements that it has impeded upon people's lives. And so I want to like discuss and just kind of air out some things that people might not be consciously aware of. Yeah. And that, that's what aligns with our content um, and our journey, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, my wife's agnostic, I'm Christian, but very much not evangelical. And, um, you know, we have our own story and you can listen to some of our back episodes and, or follow us on Instagram. Um, but for me, just because I'm a Christian, well, actually I'll do one better because I'm a Christian. I can't stand by uh, and watch the toxicity and especially um, the way that powerful people use religion to hurt people with less power. I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. Um, and, and that's why I do what I do. And I, I think a lot of people think it's anti-Christian what I'm doing or that I'm tearing down the church. Um I'm tearing, I'm trying my best to tear down systems of oppression. And if the church comes down with it, then maybe it shouldn't have been standing or shouldn't be standing in that way. It's kind of where I hang my hat. Right. Uh, um, good point. So I'd love to just dive right into some of these subjects, if that's okay. Um, let's, let's do it. Actually, bef before we do, um, a term that, you know, gets thrown around and I'll probably throw it around and you probably know what I'm talking about. Maybe our listeners uh, would appreciate some clarity. When I talk about evangelicalism, and I'll probably say that as a shorthand, evangelicalism, what I tend to mean when I refer to that is American evangelicalism, especially white evangelicalism, because that's who's running the ship. That's the James Dobson. That's the, um, you know, Benny Hinn, if you're Pentecostal, that's the Mark Driscoll, if you're young, restlessly reformed, that's the John Piper, that's the John MacArthur, you know, it's, it's white mm -hmm. American evangelical men, mostly baby boomers that are running this ship. So, and that's, that's, that's my childhood, you know, it is, even though I'm Canadian, all the content was created by folks down in Nashville, folks down in, you know, wherever, somewhere in the States. Uh, and so the stuff that, that I'm reacting to is white American evangelicalism. Now that doesn't reflect necessarily on world Christianity. World Christianity has its own problems, but especially I'm talking about white American evangelicalism. I might just say evangelicalism for short. Um, how would you respond to that definition? And, you know, going forward, is that, you know, would you qualify that or, or, or is that worth discussing just evangelicalism defined that way? Yeah, I, my, my, my definitions uh, mirror that of yours. Uh, when, when I hear of evangelicalism, especially denoting white evangelicalism, um, you know, I couple that with literalism. 
I couple mm -hmm. that with fundamentalism, that everything is literal. Everything is to the letter. There is no room for any other types of interpretation. Um, and it's intentional, right? It's not, it's not by happenstance, right? Especially white evangelicalism, uh, because, you know, me being an African-American male, I see the great racist connotations in white evangelicalism. I even see that spewing out into the black fundamentalist churches as well, especially the black Baptist churches, right? The Southern Baptist conventions, you know, the black Pentecostal churches, um, they mirror, they mirror white evangelicalism in their doctrines. And I'm not even sure if they're even aware of it because it's, you're talking about over 400 years of oppression you know, and, and I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll get into that as far as, you know, race, you know, and, and white evangelicalism and, and where that leads to. Um, and yeah, my, that's, that's my definition. When I hear that, I'm thinking fundamentalism. I'm thinking fundamentalism coupled with racism, sexism, and misogyny. And of course, can't leave this out, patriarchy, which women can be the greatest proponents of patriarchy. And yeah, I, I, I agree, I mirror that as well. And I wanna to add to that, that um, literalism plus unexamined bias is dangerous. Because when you read a book, you're always telling your own story. You're always Ishmael when you're reading Moby Dick. You're always, you know, um, you're always Harry Potter when you're reading Harry Potter. You're always the protagonist. And if you're not examining your own biases and you read the Bible, guess what? You're David. You're the Israelites. You're Paul, you, you know, and when you have these people that are in these positions where they cannot be questioned and they specifically structure things and their theology says, when you're in this position, you cannot be questioned. And then this person's reading the Bible and he thinks that his interpretation is, you know, there's no flexibility, but he hasn't examined his own bias. That's when we have these tremendous problems. And what actually happens is a certain version of a culture ends up being preached as God's, unchanging on or on a whatever inerrant inspired infallible word of god when it's like i mean i had this long conversation with a biblical literist about how women can't wear dresses or, or women have to wear dresses they can't wear pants i mean that's an american invention not just american but like that's that's western you know i mean everybody wore dresses back then like come on let's be serious like pants are a recent invention um and, and he was so dead set on and he was using a verse in the old testament that, like a woman should not dress like a man and i was like well she's wearing woman's jeans like they're not man's jeans 
you know, and it's like, no, 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 like, you know, there's signs on a bathroom, you know, and the, and the girls got a dress and the boys, and I'm like, well, that's not in the Bible. That's a bathroom sign, you know? And like, it just gets so crazy because people aren't examining their own biases, but they would say, oh, this is biblical literalism. And, and if you don't agree with me, it's because you're, you're a liberal when it's like, if liberalism is defined by adding things to the Bible and straying off of, you know, what, what the Bible actually says. It's like, well, you're more liberal than I am because you're adding stuff that isn't here. And, you know, um, but the point I was trying to make is that, yeah, literalism without examining your own biases becomes, you know, basically a false religion or becomes something absurd and strange, um, which is something that I think we're observing. Especially here, me here in America, we're, we're observing the, uh, the makings of a, a theocratic government. Yeah, we are. That's, that's that's what's we that's what's happening, you know. And and I can say this: this is, you know, ah, uh, you know, um, as a black male, you know, I don't have a whole lot, you know. And I'm just going to be pretty transparent. I don't have a whole lot to be proud of, you know, in in the in the country that I live in. You know, I, I know that people like to get on the horn and, and you know, talk about and praise, you know, Lincoln, right? Like, oh, no, Lincoln freed the slaves. And it's like, no, no, Lincoln had no choice but to free the slaves because of economic destruction. He even said if he could save the unions without freeing one slave, he would. That's mm. out of his own mouth. So he did not free the slaves because of moral obligation. It was because of economic reasons. Me being free, Josiah, is a mistake. It's an anomaly. Slavery was never meant to end. A lot of people don't realize that. It was mm -hmm. never meant to end. It was a mistake. It's an anomaly that I'm free. Now, the one thing that I can say about America that I am so proud of and that I will defend until my dying days is this. America is the only nation on earth to ever be founded on a secular constitution. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's something to be very proud of. And the, you know, evangelicalism in this country is trying to reverse that. But I am proud of, you know, other countries have later adopted, like, you know, you have China. China is basically an atheist state, basically, right? It adopted that later on. But America started out as a secular, on a secular constitution. And that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. And of course, people will debate that. But I think that that was the intention was, uh, although there was kind of a general idea of God that was used as an ethical standard, it, it was very explicit that we are not, um, we, we're not allowing religious institutions to have power here. And, and that right. was made very, very clear in, in various ways. And I think that's the important thing to say. It, if you study ethics long enough, and I do really appreciate you know, discussing ethics, you realize that it's very hard to anchor ethics. Why should we do right and wrong? You know, that, that's a very hard question. And it might be quick and sloppy, but it is effective to say, well, there is a God, therefore there's right and wrong. It, it, and maybe there, I think there are very efficient ways of using, of 
anchoring ethics without God. But I think the only the only reason I'm bringing this up is to say I think that's the only thing they were doing in the, in the Constitution, or the main thing they were doing in the Constitution is saying, you know, we're anchoring ethics. You know, we are all equal under God. Um, but what they weren't saying is we're all equal under Catholicism, or we're all equal under Lutheranism. Which, right. if you do that, then all of a sudden, well, now the Pope comes in, or or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or something like that. And that is the direction now that um, America is heading where, you know, evangelicalism, this strange phenomena of this grassroots religion called evangelicalism is gaining so much momentum that they literally elected the president. Um, and, you know, that, and it's not just this, this vague idea of God that anchors ethics. It's like, there's no, like people like, um, john MacArthur, kind of a self-made millionaire bible teacher ends up sitting with the president with uh president trump and having private conversations and and being one of the most important people in the country just because of his religious status and that becomes a very dangerous sort of a situation the religion and politics and power just really do not mix well together uh, absolutely. Um, you know, you can people can view this on YouTube, uh, a video of our uh, late great president, John F. Kennedy, uh, when he said that the separation of church and state should be absolute. Mm -hmm. No other president has 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 currently modern has said that, yeah. you know, and John F. Kennedy was a Catholic, mm -hmm. but he believed that it should be absolute, the separation of church and state. Yeah. And I'm a Christian, but and I but I believe absolutely in the separation of church and state because I've seen the level of corruption that happens just even in a church, um, even in my own life, the, the sorts of double life that you have to live sometimes with, to survive within a religion. And I just I know that politicians also have a double life, but I think that those two things need to be separate. They they just really need to be separate. Um, and it's it's deeply disturbing to me. I mean, 2020 um was traumatic for me in canada to watch what was happening in the states because i thought i was witnessing the end of democracy um the way that things were happening and i'm just glad the election went the way that it did but i know that you know that that undercurrent is still there and still building and it does feel like one of the greatest threats to the modern world um evangelicals and their their thirst for power really is what it feels like to me it's kind of like the, uh, you know, uh, Atwoodian dystopia, right? The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Right? I've been told Margaret I need to watch that. Oh, you mean you haven't watched any of it? No. My wife tried to convince me and I'm like, uh, it feels like work. It's going to like trigger me and make me, you know. Oh, design. That's unacceptable. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to. I mean, I'm just playing. But you, um, I just watched the last episode uh, about a couple okay. weeks ago, and you will binge watch it. Okay. If you watch the first episode, you'll 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 binge watch it. Um, it is, I, it's it's amazing. It's an, it's an amazing series, and it will resonate with you. I promise you, we, you, we, we could have a podcast just on deconstructing The Handmaid's Tale. 
just on that. That's how powerful that series is. Mm. You have to watch. You have to watch. I know it may, you know, just, just maybe have a drink with you, you know, <laughs> have some ibuprofen. <laughs> gets triggered, but it's well written. The acting is superb. And the content is just astounding. Hmm. And it's where we're it's where we're heading. That's why you need to watch it because it's not that it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. It isn't. It's especially with you know women's rights, you know, and you know them fighting, you know, for you know bodily autonomy. Oh man, it's it's so relevant, hmm. extremely relevant. Go watch it. <laughs> You'll love it. I, I, yeah, there's no space in my life for binge watching. <laughs> But anyways, that's another matter. <laughs> um, let me ask you a specific question. If evangelicals mm-hmm. claim to be to have cornered the market on anything, people like James Dobson, people like Mark Driscoll and John Piper, if they claim to know anything about anything, it's we know how to raise kids, do family, and do sex. This this to me, it feels like if you go to a conference, if you if you read a book. If you hear a sermon, it feels like this is where they feel like, oh yeah, we we got this one. We might there there are other topics that like maybe we don't know as much about, but this one we got. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that evangelicals are doing on topics of sexuality and gender? Hmm. Well, not too good. You know, a lot of people are coming out of traumatic experiences with the whole purity culture, right? And then that's mm-hmm. what, you know, especially white evangelicalism purports, right? Is this type of purity culture. Um, you know, that women aren't really women unless they have children, right? So mm-hmm. you have this movement now of women saying, listen, we're all women. Children don't you know, does not define our womanhood. Um, and, you know, the whole thing with regards to, again, the purity culture, you know, in, in 2019, Josiah, there was this, there were youth groups and summer camps, you know, run by ministers and pastors. And they utilized um, chewing gum right? They utilized chewing gum uh, and was telling women that, look, if you have premarital sex, you are like ragged chewing gum. No godly man would want to marry you. You know what that sparked? That sparked the condom manufacturer Trojan in 2019 to launch a campaign called you are not chewed gum. Wow. Imagine the psychological damage that does. Sex is as natural as drinking water, right? But you're telling these young women that they're like chewed bubble gum <laughs> if, if they have sex outside of marriage. Um, no, they, they didn't get that right. They didn't get the whole sexuality issue right either, especially with regards to the LGBTQ community. 
Here is an alarming disproportional fact. In America, and I'm, and I'm not sure in Canada, but I can only speak where I am in America, only 7% of the youth identify being LGBTQ. However, 48% make up the homeless youth rate in America. That's almost 50%, but only 7% identify. The main reason they're being thrown out of their house is based on the faith of their parents. As little as young as 10, 11 years old, Josiah. So what ends up happening? What you already know what happens, right? They have nowhere to go. They, they, they don't have any money. So what do they have to do? They have to turn to prostitution at 10, 11, 12 years old. And to deal with the trauma of prostitution, what do they have to do? They have to turn to drugs to quiet their mind, to, to, to numb them from what they're doing. You know, I, I spoke with directors of, um, of, of, of housing camps here, um, and they said it's just, it's, it's an epidemic that people are being silent about. Um, you know, it's, it's this whole evangelical interpretation of that homosexuality is a choice. That's the narrative that's pushed, it's a choice. Well, it's kind of like Burger King, right? You can't have it both ways. So if homosexuality is a choice, then heterosexuality is a choice as well. That means every morning when I get up, I make a conscious decision to be heterosexual. If it is a choice, you can't just put it on homosexuality. I, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm heterosexual, but let me try this gay thing out. Let's see where it takes me. <laughs> I, I can't. It's, it's, already, it's already scientifically been disproven. It's, it's, it's not based on a choice. We don't, we're not in control of who we're attracted to, right? I'm, I'm not attracted to men. Now, now, if I wake up one morning because of something, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, then, then, I'll, then I'll have to go through that journey. But I don't make a conscious decision to be straight, just like a person doesn't make a decision to be gay. And, and that is the evangelical narrative that is continuously pushed. Um, in, in, in his book, uh, it was Bruce uh, Bagmill, it's called Exuberance, um, Biological Exuberance, the uh, Animal Homosexuality and Natural Diversity. Um, and it speaks about, even in Yale Scientific, it speaks about how over 450 species of animals exude homosexual behavior. It's natural. And us being as humans, we're mammals too, biologically speaking. We're mm -hmm. mammals. The only difference is that we just happen to be well-dressed ones. That's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> right? Um, and so, you know, they, they got that wrong too. You know, um, the suicide rate is at an alarming uh, ratio with the LGBTQ community because of this narrative. Um, you know, uh, here in Arizona, uh, for the first time, this was about maybe seven years ago, the Mormon church opened its doors to the LGBTQ community. What it said was this, 
you can come to our temples. You can praise with us. The only thing is, if you don't turn from your homosexuality, you, you are damned. Your soul is damned. Well, at the time, the president of the human rights campaign in Washington, D.C. called wind of this and said, who would want to go to a Mormon temple knowing that you still look at me as an abomination? And I think what a lot of churches, and I, and I think you could probably go in on this pro even more than I can, is that I look at a lot of churches as looking at the LGBTQ community as profit, as profit, because let's get them in. Let's, mm. let's, 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 get these, let's get these tithes together. Let's come on in, you know, come as you are. But underneath, they don't accept them, but it's a thing of even with a lot of businesses, right? They use they utilize this LGBTQ type of tolerance to to get more sales, right? But in their hearts, they just tolerate the community. It's not this type of overwhelming camaraderie of love. It's I tolerate you. And I don't want anyone to tolerate me. I don't want anyone to tolerate me because I'm black. Mm -hmm. Tolerate is such a, to me, it's almost a, a cuss word. Tolerate. Yeah. Tolerate. I, people tolerate hamsters. <laughs> people tolerate bugs. You know, not a person's humanity. You know, so no, they didn't get it right. They, 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 what they're doing is they're pushing more and more people into psychiatric facilities. Yeah. That's what's happening. That, that's what's happening. And, and, and here's the thing. They're not even doing it. They're not even doing it themselves. That's why you need to watch The Handmaid's Tale. They're not doing it themselves. Uh, today, uh, news came out of a pastor that just got sentenced to a thousand years having sex with minors. But yet he was preaching that homosexuality was an abomination. He's having sex with boys. <laughs> you see, so they're not practicing what they're preaching. Yeah. And it's, and it's just causing psychological havoc. Um, yeah. yeah, the family structure is, to me, is just falling apart. I mean, you mentioned a few people. Uh, one of the people that come to mind is that was Trump's um, spiritual advisor, Paula White. I'm pretty sure you've heard of the scandal with Paula White. Various indiscretions in her marriage. Her, her husband basically just opened Twitter wide open and just laid out all of her business. Multiple affairs, multiple. But she was Trump's spiritual advisor. You see, so, so it's a game. Mm -hmm. They don't even believe what they're preaching. It's a game of control. And that, mm -hmm. that's 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 how that's how I look at it. Um, as far as gender and sexuality, that's you know, and 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 if we were to get even more deeper into it, um, you know, from a even a biblical standpoint of view, um, you know, you look at uh, Eve, right? This this has psychological impacts too. You know, according to the Bible, Adam was created by God, but Eve was not a separate creation. Eve was created from Adam. Mm -hmm. 
right, from the side mm-hmm. of Adam to be a helpmate. So women are not even a creation unto themselves. In other words, I've heard men say, well, without us, you wouldn't even be here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Think about how that plays in the form of misogyny and sexism. You're only here because of my existence, because of the male existence. Yeah. Even though that grossly trespasses on science, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, you know, when, a, you know, the gonads of a fetus, every human on earth, besides if they have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes, every fetus on earth is female initially. Every human. Every human is female. Mm-hmm. And, every, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and every human comes out of a vagina. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. But, or else cesarean, but. Right. You see, so that, 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 plays, that plays a lot into, you know, the patriarchy and sexism and misogyny. You know, people really don't think about that. You know, that women, eh, women was just created to be a helpmate for men. That's your role. Accept it. So I've heard you mention, I've heard you mention and touch on racism a few times. And this is something I'd like to come back to in the time that's left, because Mm -hmm. I'm trying to raise awareness uh, among my, you know, my friends and my circles. I, I'm bold on Instagram and every once in a while I venture back onto Facebook and I try and, you know, raise awareness and people push back and they just, I can tell I'm the only one speaking on these topics in these circles. That's not true. I'm the only one speaking from this perspective. There's a lot of voices from another perspective. Um, So I'll put the question to you this way. Up till recently, I was an apologist for Christianity. And one of the things that I would take credit for is Martin Luther King Jr. And I would say, Hmm. look, Christianity is wonderful for the world. Look, like we abolished slavery. Without Christianity, you know, the whole world over, slavery, you know, was common, which is, is, it's a little bit oversimplifying, you know, even that. But um, what I used to say is that Christianity, through Martin Luther King Jr. and a few other people, you know, um, slavery and racism, I should be saying racism with Martin Luther King Jr., not slavery, but, you know, appropriating his contribution it wasn't until 2020 that I realized, wow, we really have a problem with racism. And then I started educating myself and I read Martin Luther King Jr. Letters from Birmingham Jail. And I realized, oh, hold on a second. Um, most Christians weren't on board with Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, there were a few. Uh, and there were a few whites and a few you know, pastors that were on board. But for the most part, as a whole, Christianity was pushing against him and saying, you're going too fast. You're going about it the wrong way. You're, you're making too much noise. You're making too much waves. You need to stop, slow down. You need to stop. Yes, it's nice. What you're doing is okay, but just, you know, don't do it so much. And I realized, I don't think that we have a right to take the credit for what Martin Luther King Jr. did unless we're doing the same sorts of things in our generation. And I feel like we're not part of the same crowd as Martin Luther King Jr. as evangelicals. We're part of the crowd that was pushing against him. Um, How does that strike you? It's interesting. So Harry, 
um, he wrote a book, uh, American Spiritual Autobiographies. He was one of the most prominent. Sorry, what was the name? Um, Harry Emerson Fostick. Okay. Uh, he wrote a book called American Spiritual Autobiographies. And um, King mentioned him in one of his essays. And what he said was, the most helpful thing about any system of theology is that it will not last. Mm. Boom, right? So I'll, 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 I'll circle back to that. Um, people have this skewed perspective of who King was. You know, uh, he was all about nonviolence. You know, you know, people say, oh, you know, he, you know, he retrieved his nonviolence concept from Gandhi, you know, when in actuality, Gandhi got the nonviolence concept from Henry Throw of Harvard University. It is an American construct. Uh, and so, but be that as it may, people doubted King's Christianity. They even went as far as saying that he was a coveted atheist. This is why. If you go to Stanford Library, it's called the King Institute Papers. It is housed at Stanford University. It has his dissertation and it has his scholarly essays. King did not believe in the virgin birth. King did not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. King did not believe in hell. King did not believe that Christianity held the copyright to salvation. He was a huge critic on fundamentalism, huge. This is something that you don't hear people talk about. I wanna be a little optimistic here. I have no way of proving it. I believe if King lived a little longer, King would have been a humanist. I believe during that time, the black church was a political powerhouse at that time. And he utilized the black church to catapult his agenda to achieve civil rights in America. Um, again, I believe that if he would have lived longer, his views would have drastically changed. And you're right, in the, letter to, in the letter from the Birmingham jail, he criticized not only moderate whites, but also moderate whites that were Christian because they didn't wanna talk about certain topics. They, you, you see the racial inequalities going on. You, you, you see the discrimination, but you just wanna sit on the sidelines and just talk about how lovely Jesus is, but you don't want to get your you don't want to get your hands dirty in the civil rights movement. So you're right; he was a huge critic on fundamentalism. He King was not a literalist, and you you as a, as a theologian, Josiah, you would really you would really love his dissertation and and his essays. Um, it's the King Institute, and it's on the Stanford University website, and. Um, his views were just not the views of even most black preachers of today. 
Um, he was more involved in liberation theology and even process theology. You know, the, the you know the process theology. You know that uh, Paul Tillich made famous, and you know Bishop Shelby Spong made famous. You know, what I mean, you know him being a Catholic bishop, but saying, "Hey, hell is an invention that was made up to put fear in the people to control." So you have these pastors who, are Christian, who, who believe in Jesus but they don't believe in the other stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And that was Dr. King, but people don't talk about that, you know, because it was said that, are you really a Christian? What's, what are you talking about? You don't believe in the divinity of Jesus. What, what are you even talking about? You're supposed to be this Baptist pastor. What, what do you mean you don't believe that Jesus was the son of God? He didn't, he didn't. But if that's not popularized in the media mm -hmm. and, 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 and purposely so, right, because they want to keep King in a box, you know, three days before King was assassinated, he spoke with his good friend, Harry Belafonte. And what he said startled me when I read this several years ago, he said, you know, Malcolm X was right. I believe that we should have fought for civil rights and I stand behind this. I believe that violence should be the last resort, but I'm convinced that I've led my people into a burning house. America will never have remorse for what it's done. Hmm. 72 hours later, he was assassinated. People have said that Harry Belafonte without his knowledge that his house was bugged. Because as long as King kind of stayed in his lane, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't that big of a threat. Yeah. But the moment he said, oh, you know what? I've marched my people into a burning house. Oh, no. Wait a minute. And you're, wait a minute. Your ideologies are about to align with Malcolm X. Oh, he has to be taken out. It's time. Mm -hmm. It's time. You see, and so that's another story that people don't really know about Dr. King is that he almost recanted that America can reverse her ills towards black and brown people in this country. That was startling to me. Let, I wanna ask you a question right along those lines because I had a recent conversation with somebody that he didn't wanna engage publicly so he in you know private message back and forth and back and forth until i had a headache mm -hmm. and the conversation was um you know how can because we're all concerned about critical race theory that's what apparently everybody's an expert on all of a sudden right uh, all of a sudden all these people that have never heard about it are like oh well we can't be involved in in you know fight the fight for equality because we we have to be so afraid of marxism and the problem with our country is Marxism is coming, going to take our, away all our freedoms. And, and right. you know, so really we're being persecuted by, by this. Um, but, you know, his point was, look, you know, it, I myself am not a bad person. I don't hate anybody. In fact, I have friends that, you know, are indigenous and are black and I get along with them. Great. And, why should I have to repent 
or feel guilty or feel bad for something that other people did just because, and if you, if you say I should feel bad for that, just because of the color of my skin, then you're the racist. Mm -hmm. So there's this highly, so then, then my rebuttal to that was, you're an evangelical and you literally believe everybody in the world is going to hell because of Adam 6,000 years ago. And yet you're not able to acknowledge the sins that your people did in our case in Canada 30, 40 years ago with the First Nations peoples of our country that we took away their children and buried them in mass graves under churches. Oh, you're not willing horrible. to say, you're not willing to say, okay, I, that's on us. We fucked up. And mm -hmm. from the bottom of my heart, I have no words to say. I'm so sorry for what my people did to your people. You're going to sit here and say, no, I have a First Nations friend and we get along great. And me in my privatized little bubble, I bear no guilt for anything else. Where, where do you go with that? Do you, I guess that isn't a very good question, but I, no, how do you react to that? Um, easy. Um, yes. Uh, they did not... You know, a person living today, you know, did not, let's say here in America, you know, there, is, there isn't one white person today that is directly linked to, you know, um, basically kidnapping um, Africans and bring them over here in the transatlantic slave trade. Okay. But here's the thing. They benefit from it. Mm -hmm. They benefit from it. You know, they, they benefit from, you know, the, the wealth gap, right? Can you imagine 400 years of free labor? Imagine you owning a company. And for 400 years, your family didn't have to pay any of its workers. Can you imagine the economic disparity that is created? with that you benefit from that yeah they you bent they benefit from if i get stopped by a police officer you know what i can't mouth off and say wait a minute you know this is ridiculous why did you stop me i you know my white brothers i can't mouth off to the police like my white brothers can i have to be on my best behavior with my hands on the steering wheel because i don't benefit as the comedian Paul Mooney once said, I don't have the complexion for the protection. Mm. <laughs> pretty pretty, pretty mm. much, you know? And, you know, I, I wanted to really add this to uh, about that, you know, about, ah, <sighs> uh, evangelicalism and racism, you know, that is the main reason, Josiah, why evolution is so fought against in schools. Because people who are anti-evolutionists want to perpetuate white exceptionalism. This is why. People have this comfortable idea that from Adam 
Adam was this perfectly formed, and according to you know, Western thought, white male, from that point till now, this perfect lineage, okay? Mm-hmm. That's why we have to perpetuate creationism because the global scientific community, white, black, red, orange, yellow, green, or purple, they all know that genetically we come from Africans. Mm. They cannot admit evolution because admitting evolution is real admits the fact that we all come from dark-skinned Africans, genetically speaking and culturally speaking. When you look in the book of Genesis, when you look at, right, when you look at Cain, when, when I believe, right, it was Cain's fourth son, Ham, right, that bared the curse, oddly enough, the whole thing of, well, you know, the curse came on him and he made him black. That invention didn't appear until the 15th century. Where did that come from? So that was perpetuated even through slavery. That you know what? You are a cursed race. Even till this day, the Mormon sacred text, when I spoke to um, uh, an ex-Mormon bishop, He said in their most sacred text, it states that black skin is a curse that was was placed on Cain's fourth son. Even to this day, Josiah, Mm -hmm. to this day. So that's why evolutionism is not taught in schools because it's to admit that, well, wait a minute, Adam wasn't perfectly formed then wait a minute, you're telling me that we're all genetic descendants of Africa? They can't have that because it messes up their narrative. You see what I'm saying? So evolution, denying evolution is not about religion. It is not about religion. It is about maintaining white supremacy and white exceptionalism. Because how can you maintain it, right? I mean, it, was, it wasn't until the 1920s that was perpetuated by the Klan. A lot of people don't know. The Ku Klux Klan was against evolution because they were like, oh, hell no. We didn't do, we're not descendants of no African ancestors. Oh, hell no. Hmm. So they pushed that agenda. And so now the American educational system, right? They're very staunch on keeping evolution out of our schools. And that started with the Ku Klux Klan. You see? I remember Richard Dawkins came out with a shirt years ago and it said, we are all Africans. And the scientific community had no rebuttal because they were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we're all descendants of our, yeah. yeah. But not evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. They cannot accept that. So they have to stick with the creationist narrative. That's too much. Mm-hmm. That's, that's too no. We can't come genetically from Africa. No, that's too much, right? You know, it's uh, you know the 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 you know the, the the abortion issue. You know, that's it's it's not about religion. It's really about controlling women's bodies. That's mm-hmm. what it's really about. Because for me, religion, Josiah, is a is has become a tool. It's a tool to mask the crux of really what's going on. And that's keeping control of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So we have to create this facade. 
fight the religion. Yeah, fight it. But behind the veil, this is what we're trying to keep and maintain. But here's the thing. We still have to fight the tool. We have to dismantle the tool so that when the smoke and the debris clears, we can see, oh, this is what this was really all about the whole time. Mm -hmm. You see? So evolution is a very interesting topic of why the American government especially is staunchly against having that in schools. Mm -hmm. It's admitting that we're all Africans, basically. Yeah. And one way of looking at evangelicalism, evangelicalism is a very hard thing to understand because it's like, um, it's not like, and it's not like a living creature. It's like a bunch of living creatures. It's it's like a disease, or, or it's like grass. It's like a grassroots organization. So it's it's hard to pinpoint. It's not like the Catholic Church where you say, "Oh yeah, well that's the guy." Evangelicalism is very hard to understand. It's it's a cultural phenomenon, is what it is, and it's it arose due to various historical influences. Uh, Jesus and John Wayne is a very good book for understanding. I think that in the next 10 years, we're going to have a flourishing of books by historians that are going to help us unpack the 20th century to realize how in the hell we got here. And I think mm. one of the ways of understanding evangelicalism is that in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, America really came to terms with sexism, racism. I mean, it comes to terms is the wrong word, but many Americans began to wake up to racism and to sexism and there was the sexual revolution and there was the social uh, the the um civil rights movement and there there was progress in universities and all these things and then a lot of america said whoa we're not going to progress you know and then these enclaves were created these all that's when all the bible camps were founded that's when, you know, the, a lot of the summer camps uh, were built in the 60s. A lot of the private schools were built in the cities. A lot of, you know, Bob Jones was built. Uh, you know, all, all this infrastructure was created so that people like me could be raised within this bubble with our own music and our own entertainment and our own homeschool material and our own everything and never hearing from anybody outside of the bubble. Um, and, and, I definitely think a large part of that is not wanting to face, you know, the reality of, of racism and, um, and our, our responsibility with that, our culpability, our, our, um, our heritage and, and what it would actually cost us to have an, a just society, an equal society. Um, and to enable us, especially through this persecution complex, to maintain the ethical, moral high ground that we're always the ones that are being persecuted and this kind of mentality continues to swirl around. But it only works if you isolate yourself enough from the real world that you can convince your children of this false narrative. And I think that is, I, 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 I didn't know that about the Ku Klux Klan and I didn't make that connection with evolution, but that does line up with a lot of my research that there's just this force to, um, to protect our kids from those crazy liberals. And a big part of that is, is racism and, and um, dismantling patriarchy. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Robert, I have appreciated our time. It has flown by. Um, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> it I has. Feel like great, we conver- could... great conversations, man. Yeah. Um, so can you remind our listeners where they can find you and your content? Oh, absolutely. Um, they can go um, search me online uh, at affinishumanity.org. And they can find my handle for Instagram and Facebook uh, at Affinis Humanity. And that's where they can find me. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Google, Stitcher, and uh, iTunes. And you can find my wife at Seeking Health Podcast on Instagram. You can find myself at Josiah R. Meyer on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. And Robert, thank you very much for your time. I would I say God bless. Josiah. Thanks for having I'm not going to say that. But the sentiment is there. May humanity bless you richly. Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good day. All right. You too.